Good morning, Harvest. Go ahead and take a seat. My name's Jamie. I have the privilege of serving as a pastor and elder here at Harvest Church, and certainly grateful to be with you in this capacity this morning as we look into God's Word. Together, I was uh, telling my wife this week, early this week, that we're still in core values, and I would be preaching on expository preaching. And she asked me a question. She said, how are you going to preach on preaching? <laughs> I thought about that, and I uh, Realize that I hope to have an answer to that question by 9 o'clock on Sunday morning. So here we are. It's been a wonderful morning thus far. Uh, the music, uh, the prayer of confession, which afterwards, Shannon even told me, I, pressure's off. I don't have to preach anymore after the prayer of confession this morning. So now we get to sit back and relax as we look into expository preaching. And if I had to guess... Of all the core values that are, that are up here, so for some of you behind you, to my left, to most of your right, of all of those values, my guess would be that expository preaching at best is the one you feel most passively engaged in. Because if I look at them and, and, and I'm sitting in the crowd, I'm going, yes, I can pray, I can be involved in missions, uh, involved in my family, we're supposed to all make disciples, live in community, I can, I can go or I can give to church planting, I can help join in pursuit of diversity, all of those things, and yet expository preaching, that's just for guys like me. And so if I'm you and I'm looking at the core values, I'm thinking, now how do I participate? The rest of them seem pretty clear. And so maybe at best, this is the one core value in which you feel passively engaged and yet I think I could make a really a good argument that of all of our core values this one may be the most important now that may make us squirm a little bit surely gospel centrality is the most important core value and yet how do we even know what the gospel is if the word is not preached how do we know to keep it center the word is not preached. How do we know to plant churches, to make disciples, to live in community, to pursue missions? How do we know that any of these core values should actually be values unless the word of God is preached? Amen? And so today we look into expository or expositional preaching in the life of Harvest Church. To do so, I'll do two readings uh, this morning. They're both brief, one from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament. Would you stand and join me in the reading of God's Word? First is from the book of Ezra, chapter 7, verse 10. These are the words of God. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord, to do it, and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. From the New Testament, 2 Timothy, chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. That's the word of God for the people of God. And God's people said... Praise be to God. You may be seated. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Now, Father, we do pause to confess that, that we believe the Bible's from you. Uh, it being from you, that means something, Lord. It means that uh, we can trust it. It means that it's authoritative. It means that where your word is clear and where we disagree with you, it always makes us wrong. And so we ask in the kindness of your spirit that you would open our 
eyes, open our minds, that uh, your spirit would move and teach us this morning. That we, in the ways that you've arranged, would leave here more and more conformed to the image of Christ. And so that end we pray and ask your spirit to move in Christ's wonderful name. Amen. Okay, so uh, confession up front. This is going to be a little bit of a different sermon and in a great sense of irony, it's not going to be a very expositional sermon on expository preaching. (laughs) That said, the first half may feel a little bit more like lecture, but we've got to lay a little bit of foundation because this, if you've come to church any amount of time or spent uh, uh, any years of your life in church, you know in coming that you expect some things. You expect to sing, you expect to pray, but you always expect a sermon. It's the centerpiece of most local churches' services. And in all of that familiarity with the rhythm of a sermon, it, it, it may be true that we've never stopped and even reasoned why. Why? For hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of church history, the sermon has been central to the gathering of the local church. And why is that? So let's do a little bit of foundational work in understanding some things about the person of God, some things that God has arranged and designed, why a sermon in and of itself is even important. Then let's move to preaching and expository preaching, and then we'll take a look back at 2 Timothy. So for this first part, bear with me. In Genesis chapter 1, God says this, that he spoke and there was light. So we know very early on that God is a God of communication. Amen. God speaks. In fact, the, the Bible tells us that there are two main forms in which the word of God is spoken of. The first is of a person, Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, speaking of Jesus. So the word of God embodying the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus came, he spoke, he communicated, he taught. The other way the word of God is referenced in the scripture is, is scripture itself. It's this written form that we have right here. He spoke it, it was recorded, it was handed down to us perfectly as he intended. So God is a God that speaks, which means God is a God that intends that we understand him, that we learn of him. In fact, in Jesus' uh, dialogue in Matthew 22, it'd say one of the great commands, the single greatest command is what? To love your Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind. Mind means we're learning, we're pursuing, we're understanding. And so if God is a God of communication, it stands to reason that he himself uh, would be the main thing in which we should communicate. So God speaks. God comes uh, in the person of Christ to earth, fully, uh, truly God, truly man, and he speaks. We see Jesus teaching in the synagogues. When Jesus sends his disciples out, he goes and says, preach the gospel to all his disciples. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, whether you've thought of yourself through that terminology or not, you are a disciple of Christ. And Jesus says, proclaim, preach. Paul, as we saw earlier, writing to Timothy, the pastor in Ephesus, he says, preach the word. In the Old Testament, he tells Moses to teach the people the law. And then 
in his law tells parents who teach their children. It's this ongoing narrative that our God is a God of communication. And so in understanding that that is an essential part of his nature, we too, if we have repented of our sins and trusted in Christ, we step into this pursuit of the character of God, reflecting his nature to the world. So we reflect the fact that he's a God of preaching, teaching, communication. And so God, from the very beginning, spoke. And thus, being people fashioned in his image, we too are called to speak. Okay, so what about the idea of preaching? Because surely that's just for guys like me. It's very few of us, right? Very few of us will ever preach. In fact, if we were to poll the room this morning, there would only be a handful, it would be single digits, I assure you, of any of y'all that think this will ever be your venue. You don't even aspire to it. The idea to be a preacher or to preach is not on your radar. And yet, the tragedy that comes with that is the realization that the definition of preaching has been far too narrowly defined. What you see me do or try to do is a manifestation of preaching. Did you hear that? It's a manifestation of preaching. It's nuanced and certainly most of you will not ever do it in this form or fashion. But does that remove you from the responsibility or idea of preaching altogether? I don't think it does. There are multiple ways in which preaching is manifested in the scriptures. In fact, when you see the idea of preaching or preach mentioned throughout the New Testament at its, basis, uh, at its base level, it is to proclaim what specifically the gospel. It's to be a herald of the gospel. And in that sense, everyone here this morning steps into the responsibility of preaching Christ. Amen? So in that vein, we all do preach, or should. But not only that, there are different forms in which preaching can take. We've just probably never thought of it in that way. So if you're ever one-on-one or one-on-two, or in a small group, anytime you're opening God's word and communicating it, to someone else. We are preaching. We are unpacking it. We are teaching. We are communicating it. So if you're discipling anyone, if you're in any type of discipleship community in which the Word of God is brought forth, you are engaged and involved in a form of preaching. What I'm doing in this time we've known as the sermon is a unique manifestation of preaching. It's biblical, it's mandated, it's regulated, who should do it, how, but it's not the only way to think through preaching, but it'll be our main focus this morning. The main focus this morning is not all the other ways I already illustrated for you. I just wanted you to feel that we're all engaged in this in some way, shape, or form. Our focus this morning is on this time, 
the nuanced manifestation of preaching called the sermon. So let's start by asking this. Why a sermon? And why are they so long? (laughs) Why? Well, let's drill down some pretty practical reasons. Everything we do, not only by what we say, but how we do it communicates something. Okay, so it's not just what we say, but how we do it. The intentionality through which a worship service is ordered, which Ken walked through a couple weeks ago, which I thought was refreshing and well needed and inspiring as to why we even gather, why we have the elements that we do. The sermon, this time, is one of the few times, maybe only time in any of our weeks, where you don't get to talk back. You don't get to stop me. You don't get to argue. You don't get to interject your opinion. In fact, one of the greatest uh, things about a sermon is not simply in what is said, but the mechanism of delivery. It reminds us that we are to sit and receive instruction. Because when we sit and uh, with our Bibles, with the Lord, we're not there to posture, to argue with God, to interject our opinions to God, to weigh our words on the same level as His. So why do we do this? Why in a soundbite world where most of our minds have been trained through social media or advertising or whatever it is to only receive information and snapshots, why do we have to sit for 40 or 45 minutes and receive, receive, receive. Because we've got to remember that our lives are not lived on our own terms. We've got to remember that we are the creatures made by a creator. You have to be careful here because No one in this stage is going to hopefully make the claim that we are speaking the words of God to you. Now, when we read the Bible, that's the word of God. But when I start interjecting, giving insight, those are fallible. I can get some things wrong, admittedly so. And so when I uh, start to explain, I'm not saying thus saith the Lord. The Bible is thus saith the Lord, but I can always claim that my words are. And so I'm careful what I'm saying here. I'm not saying I am equivalent to God, listen to me. But I am saying this is a bit of a model of God speaks, we listen, we don't argue. Now certainly where you may see that I was off for problematic interpretation, you should always talk to me about that. Paul encourages us to do that. But why a sermon? reminds us time is not ours it's the lord's we need instruction we don't have all the answers when god speaks we're meant to listen amen that's the mechanism of it now why is uh, the word central in it because jesus tells us feed the sheep And he says, we don't live on bread alone, but by every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. This is, if we were to consider uh, our spiritual disciplines in the time that we gather together uh, as a meal, the sermon is meant to be the main course. A rich diet, uh, full of the truth of God's word. It is not meant to be 
a drive-through fast food experience. And in fact, as some of us know, if you only eat a fast food diet, uh, you get sick. And so this is meant to be a concentrated, elongated time of feeding and being nourished on the words of God. Okay, so God's a God of communication. We step into that being made into his image. Throughout the scripture, he tells us to teach, tells us to preach. We're all engaged in that, just in different manifestations. This one, yes, is unique. It's called the sermon. This is why we do it the way that we do it. And yet our core value does not say sermon, does it? It says expository preaching. So what is that? Uh, so, so, so here it is in its simplest definition. What do we mean by expository preaching at Harvest Church is this. Is that the point of the passage is the point of the sermon. That's it. The point of the passage is the point of the sermon. That's why we choose to walk through books of the Bible normatively. This is a little bit of a nuanced series. But we've been walking through the Gospel of John most of last year. What we preach on a Sunday is determined by what part of John we're in. Are you with me on that? It's expository preaching. Okay, now that's different than if, uh, you know, Ken and me, Bill, Steve, whoever got in a room and said, okay, this week, all right, this week we want to teach on this, and next week let's teach on this. The next week, we are then determining the content of the sermon. Instead, we, 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 we try to let the Bible determine the content of the sermon. That's expository preaching. So to do expository preaching faithfully, the main point of the passage has to be the main point of the sermon. Now, there are times in a church's life, as we're doing now, that lend itself maybe more towards uh, some topical ideas. So we're walking through core values. We're trying to remind us this is what God called us to be. But all of these are rooted in the scriptures. We can unpack a passage on all of them. So when you see that sign, just all you need to hear is, okay, my normal expectation at Harvest Church is whomever's entrusted with the preaching that week, the main point of the sermon is going to arise from the passage that we are in. It is not our goal or intention to just have something we want to say and go find a bunch of Bible verses and piece it together so we can say it. Okay, so what we want to do, what we try to do, we'll miss the mark sometimes, certainly, but our desire is that the main point of the passage is the main point of the sermon. Now, why do it like that? Why do it like that? There are a myriad of reasons, but let me give you a couple. I'll give you a couple. The first is this. Expository preaching, which means we're going to walk through the Bible. That helps ensure that we can stand with Paul, as he said in Acts chapter 20, verse 27, when he says, I did not shrink back from preaching or declaring the full counsel of God. Walking through the Bible is the only way to ensure that we're in pursuit of that direction. If we punt expository preaching and we simply go with what we want to say when we want to say it, we can skip a whole lot of things. We can avoid a whole lot of things. We can simply do things we feel good about or most comfortable with or most eloquent with. But to do it expositorily, to say the point of the passage is the point of the sermon, to, to say we're going to walk start to finish through these books of the Bible means all of it 
can't be avoided. So it ensures that we are pursuing what Paul says, that we will not shrink back from declaring the full counsel of God. Now, you don't have to teach the full counsel of God in every sermon, but over the time, as we are saying, we want to pursue this holistic picture of biblical preaching. So that's the first one. Let me give you the second one, the one that may not occur uh, uh, to you as you sit and think about it is this. Expository preaching is the best way to ensure that your preachers are challenged. It's the best way to ensure your preachers are challenged. Because we don't get to duck anything. You hold us accountable to it. You know, if we were preaching in John chapter 9, and then the next week you came in and we just jumped to John chapter 11, several of you would go, hey, what about 10? You skipped it. Why'd you skip it? Because your expectation is... Because we think God's called us to preach as we try to do is that we're not going to duck or skip anything. So what does that do? It challenges your preachers in preparation. That each week we have to open the text. We have to dive into it. We have to dig into it and mine out what is God saying. Not only what is God saying, but in prayer, God of this passage of which there are 13 things to preach. What are the singular truth or a couple truths that you would have for Harvest Church on this particular Sunday morning? Okay, so it ensures the preacher is challenged. If you do not do it that way, let me tell you what we all risk. You risk us simply preaching things that we already know, that are already familiar, and the maturity of the church will never rise above the mind of the pastor. And so when Paul says in Colossians chapter 1 that we labor and toil to present everyone mature in Christ Jesus... You cannot do that unless your preachers are challenged with God's word themselves each week. Okay, so we don't want, God help us, if everyone here stays stuck at the mind of our pastors. We want to be challenged, so therefore we can challenge you. The other reason, and it's this way that will segue into 2 Timothy one through four and take a brief look at it is expository preaching ensures or hopefully so that the word of God stays central during this time except for this sermon (laughs) that's the irony of this one okay but that the word of God stays central during this time okay it's why it helps protect us from Uh, Ken or me or anyone getting up here and saying okay here's uh, 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 seven healthy habits for self-satisfaction one you know word of God stays central in expository preaching now why is that so important well look at our passage we read look at 2nd Timothy chapter 4 verses 1 through 4 okay so this is where hopefully we move a little bit from lecture to sermon for you this morning I charge you, so Paul talking to Timothy, who's the pastor in Ephesus, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who's the judge of living and the dead, by his appearing in his kingdom, look at verse 2, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. All that means is uh, when it's convenient and when it's not convenient. When it's comfortable and when it's uncomfortable. When you feel prepared or you're not prepared, what Paul says, there is no excuse to ever depart from preaching the word of God. Amen? Preach the word. Here's what he says. 
<clears throat> reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. Now why? Why is Paul telling this pastor Timothy to do this? For a time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Uh, Paul says a time is coming. I think you make an argument that there have been segments of that through every uh, generation of human history. But certainly the time is here. When the sound truth of God's word is under attack and being abandoned, hear me now, not outside of the church, inside of the church. And so you have plenty of opportunities in our city or any city you live in that if you decide you just don't like what the Bible has to say about something, there are plenty of other churches you could go to and whatever your desire is to hear, you can have your ears scratched. And you can hear what you want to. And even sadly so, you can feel like it's biblically endorsed. Paul says you cannot depart the teaching of God's word. Right, so part of it's protection. We, don't want, we, we want you to know what's true and what's not so that these other doctrines or other teachings don't pull you away. They don't uh, make you kind of want to have your ears scratched in a different direction. The second reason is, by doing that, sound teaching, what we hope happens, what we hope becomes true, if we're really pursuing this, is what we see. Now, don't turn there. Just listen, okay? It's going to struggle some of you. All right, my note takers, just write this down. Don't flip. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. If you want one verse. So, so 2 Timothy tells us why we do it. Why we do it, we don't want you to chase these myths and these false doctrines. We've got to keep the word of God central. It tells you why. Now, St. Corinthians tells us how to do it. The mechanism by which to pursue. Kind of the main thing that the sermon should always come back to and anchor in on. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 is my favorite verse I'm preaching in the Bible. Here's what Paul says to the church at Corinth. Uh, verse 2. But we have, watch this, renounced disgraceful and underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. So here's what Paul says. He says, we refuse to practice cunning, underhanded, manipulative practices which he then defines as tampering with God's word. Now that idea of tampering there is that the same word that was used for people in the marketplace that sold wine. It means to, to dilute it. So what they would do is to make their wine stretch further, to make more money, they would water it down. And in watering it down, uh, uh, they could get more to more people, but they were robbing them of the essence of the wine. Are you with me on that? So when Paul says we refuse to tamper with God's word, what we're saying as pastors who preach at Harvest Church is we know God's word should be central, but it's not just that God's word should be central in some flippant way. It's that we refuse to, hopefully by God's kindness, water it down. We don't want to tamper with it. We don't want to soften it. 
That would be, in Paul's words, cunning. That would be to undermine it. That would be to rob you of the essence and substance of this pure wine of God's word. So this desire, too, as Paul would say, directly, we openly commend the truth to your conscience. It's unashamedly proclaiming that what God says is true is true regardless of how you might feel about it, regardless of if you might get upset with something that we say about it. It is, certainly, hopefully, gently, certainly with respect, but it is a desire to say we will not water down the word of God. We won't tamper with it. But openly before you, we will hopefully never waver from preaching it expositionally, plainly, in a straightforward manner, commending it to your conscience, letting the Spirit do the work on your heart. And so that is the how. So Second Timothy tells us the why, so how do we go about it is we don't try to water it down, we don't try to fluff it up, we don't try to shroud it so somehow it's more palatable. It's the open commendation of God's truth to your conscience. Unashamedly so. So Paul says to Timothy in chapter 4, preach the word. If we combine that with 2 Corinthians 4, it is preach the word in a way that is not watered down, that robs it of its true substance or essence. And thus you have, at Harvest Church, this deep desire and commitment to our core value of expository preaching. Let's pray. God, it's tempting, uh, even as I preach a sermon on preaching to somehow feel like we as a church get it right or do it the best or do it. That is not what we're saying, Lord. But we're saying in your kindness what we are trying to do and begging your help is to preach in the way that we feel like the Bible calls us to preach. To preach in a way in which your word stays central. that it highlights what is false, helps us uh, stick to what is true, that you would protect us from simply preaching uh, 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 to, to say what people want to hear. God, that you would protect us from Paul's oh, uh, uh, words in Second Corinthians to, to be tempted to water it down or to rob it of its substance. God, what we want is in the power of your spirit for this time every single week to be a substantive meal rich with truth that transforms us into the image of Christ. And so, God, we value and pursue expository preaching for the health of our church, for the good of our people, but ultimately for your name, fame, and glory. It's in Christ's wonderful name I pray. Amen.